Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host. You're back again, David, as my co-host, David Bernstein, <laughs> the podcast that we just released. He was our, our guest. And today we have Ian Asensio with us. And I have to tell you a little bit, Ian. Uh, I knew Ian. I met, when I met Ian, Ian was Jenny Asensio. And we became friends because we started to actually write together. So we'll tell a little bit, or not really together, but we started in the same like writing mission, if you will, of connecting across our differences. And so that's how Ian and I connected, became friends. And I think, you know, um, confidants sometimes in that relationship. And so I haven't talked to Ian since Ian has changed his name to Ian. So that is where we will start our conversation. But before we do, Ian, did you bring a drink for this conversation? Kind of boring. I brought water. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I, not that much more exciting, but. <laughs> I, I, I was ready to bring a daiquiri, but I figured I should wait until later for that. <laughs> oh, man. I sometimes feel like a little drink greases the, greases the conversation wheels. But David, did you? I brought this orange soda and I, and I stuck a little bit of vodka in in honor of this discussion. So <laughs> enough to make a difference. <laughs> I'm still on my tea kick. So I think I've got some cucumber mint concoction going on there. Yeah. Oh, I love tea. Yeah. That yeah. sounds delicious. Well, I'm trying not to. Um, David, I have to tell you. So, you know, we're talking about dry January, Ian, and I've I've been good but i've decided it's a dry january except for the weekends <laughs> oh, you've, you've gone off the rail okay got it <laughs> but look i'm still being good for the podcast t okay. so anyways all right okay enough about that ian so i gave a little introduction to how we know each other so why don't you kind of start at the beginning you are i know you as a heterodox thinker someone who's always engaging in conversation and looking for new viewpoints and kind of working out who you are. So start at the beginning and, and let us know a little bit about your story and we'll jump in with some conversation and questions. Well, um, I saw you start to call me Jenny and hesitate and then change it. And I just want to tell you that I'm still Jenny. That didn't change. I go by Ian. I'm still using Jenny professionally. Um, like you said, heterodox thinker. Um, it's my legal name and I have no real plans on changing it anyway because Zen Ian doesn't sound as good as Zen Jenny and that's been my brand. Um, but okay, so I started out writing on Medium about basically feminist hypocrisies like the there there was a school of feminist feminist thought that was basically we hate the patriarchy please patriarchy save us from the patriarchy that I just found unconscionable and silly and it came to the forefront during the 2016 
primaries and election because Hillary Clinton was the poster child of it. And I was a hardcore burner. And I kept getting called things like internalized misogynist and, you know, all kinds of names, you know, for not supporting Hillary Clinton through the primaries. And then I didn't want to vote for her. So I just didn't vote. And that was apparently a vote for Trump, which made me even more deplorable. So I found that really antagonizing. And I started writing mainly, like I said, about feminist hypocrisies and defenses of vulnerable men, because women can be pretty abusive in their own right. And I've watched several men I know get torn down by women in their lives, mothers, girlfriends, wives. Um, and, you know, that has always made me really angry since before I started writing about it. But so basically, I was already writing a lot about gender and sex and their interplay. I don't believe in gender. I think most of it, like 90% of it, is socially constructed. And the other 10% all circulates around reproduction, having babies and, you know, setting like nesting and the nesting that women do when they're pregnant or the peacocking that men do to attract mates. I mean, that's all centered around reproduction. If you removed reproduction from that equation, we would just be all a bunch of people. And that's what I think about gender. It's psychology. But um, so it was really kind of jarring to me. Um, the flip side is all of my life, ever since I was very young, I felt like how graphic am I allowed to be? Go for it. I felt like I felt like a penis made more sense than a vagina. And as I got older and older, um, I it began to feel to me like I was. It was very frustrating to me that I didn't have one, and it grew more and more frustrating. And so, about four years ago, I started doing honest-to-goodness research on how to make things down there resemble, you know, look more like David's than like Jennifer's. And once I realized that I was going around looking for steroid abusers at gyms, I said, wait a minute, maybe I should talk to a doctor about this and not you know, do this under doctor's care if I'm going to do it. And so, like I said, given how much I had been writing about gender already from a female standpoint, that was really jarring for me to realize, you know, wait a minute, I'm trans, you know, because the prevailing message that we tend to be given about trans people is, um, and I get told this all the time, I get refuted with this all the time. I must not be trans because I have no problem with my the fact that I was a female. I refer to myself as I was a woman till I turned till I was 43. That's when I realized I was, you know, masculine. But anything I do beyond hormone therapy is just going to be cosmetic. 
and it took me a good year and a half to to really process that because I was bludgeoned over the head constantly with the whole, oh, well, if you're a trans man, you were always a man. If you're a trans man, you were always a man. So I had a lot of, you know, it really, especially things like my mom died in 2005. I wound up inheriting a lot of her jewelry, which is feminine. And I'm being given the message that I need to give that up. Um, you know, other certain things, I'm a huge fan. My favorite author of all time is Jane Austen. And one of the reasons that I love Jane Austen so much is because I can relate to her female characters because I went through some of the same experiences, obviously not the early 19th century version of them, but, um, so, you know, I'm being told that I was never really able to relate to those. And now, you know, talking about that perspective now and how I do think of myself as a woman who is working on becoming more masculine on purpose, I get told a lot that, oh, well, I'm not trans and I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, the other direction that all of my research about how to grow grow a penis uh, led me was to trans men and different techniques that they used. And that's really like the juxtaposition between those things, you know, either get it illegally or you're trans. I mean, that kind of, that really is what brought it home to me that this weird feeling all my life that, you know, I always wanted a penis and always wanted the facial hair. And that's got a whole other, the facial hair is a whole other story. Um, but it really drove home to me that, oh, that's what trans is. I've been trans all this time and just didn't realize it because I've been given this wrong impression of what it is. Um, and the facial hair thing, this is another one that people use against me. I do not have PCOS. That is the one that has been eliminated. Um, but I've had the facial hair since I was 15. And there are people who um, have told me that I'm not trans, I'm just intersex. Which, first of all, if I'm, I've never been tested for an actual DSD, but I find that really offensive to put intersex, which people didn't ask for, in the same category as transsex, which people did ask for. Um, secondly, I experienced a lot of shaming when the facial hair started coming in over, oh, you're not a real girl, you're not a real girl, and then you're not a real woman, you know, people making fun of me like that. And, you know, now I'm being told that that was true all along, especially now that I have realized that for other reasons, I'm trans. Like, I don't see the two things as connected, but yeah, I've had the facial hair for much, much longer than I've been on HRT. So I got a question, unless you want to continue, Jim. Okay. Yep. So you were okay with um, uh, Jen calling you Jenny, um, even, you know, whether it was a slip up or intentional. And then, in fact, she said you were once Jenny. For a lot of trans people, that would be dead naming somebody. That would, that's a, that's a tremendous sin. And yet, you seem to be completely okay with that. How does 
how do you contend with that? How how are you okay with that when so many other trans people would find that completely offensive? Um, honestly, I don't believe in dead naming. Period. Because for any trans person, no matter what age they transition, who they were before that is a part of who they became. And I find I've seen firsthand how much harder trans people make it for themselves when they dismiss their past, you know, because, oh, well, I used to like hunting and now I'm a trans woman, so I can't like guns. Or, you know, I used to be in the military, but I'm a trans woman, so I can't be proud of my military service. Or, you know, in the like with me being told that, you know, there's no way I could have related, sorry, there's no way I could have related to Jane Austen because, you know, I was always a man. You know, I, I find that kind of thinking, that's the kind of thinking that, like, really, that's what I had trouble with for so long, you know, between the time I realized I was trans and the time I actually started HRT. That's the thing I was struggling with for so long was, does transitioning mean I have to erase my past and I was being given the messaging that yes Jennifer is your dead name you're Ian now you're only Ian you're only ever Ian and that's like until I started doing that research it never occurred to me that I could transition you know so yeah I oh It's fair to say that I've, I thought of myself as a woman until then. In fact, I call myself, I was a woman for 43 years. Now I'm a trans man. Do you find yourself at odds with other trans people here? Have they expressed anger at that in any way? Constantly. Literally just today, I was told that I am not trans if I look on Twitter, I was told that I am not trans if I can look at myself as a female. Like the fact that I accept myself, my female biology means that I am absolutely not trans. I'm, well, they never specified what I am. I just learned a new word, dead naming. I did, I, I mean, it makes sense, you know, but okay. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that when 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 I introduced you, Ian, because like I knew you before as Jenny. I know you now as Ian. I have that is fine with me. But yeah, I mean, there you know, for someone a friend to accidentally slip up when they knew you in, in a different you know as a like that's not that's. I hate when people call that transphobia. Like there was this TikTok video. I'm sorry, I didn't. I did mean to, I interrupted, go, I'm go, sorry. Go. <laughs> there was this TikTok video of this blue-haired 16-year-old. Boo-hoo, I just came out as trans three days ago. Boo-hoo, I have to go through the pain of being dead-named by my mother. Boo-hoo. And it's like, dude, you just came out. This is a person who's been calling you by your dead name and you know dead pronouns for however old you are and you're expecting them to just change overnight and I got that big wake-up call when I admit it I did the same thing to my husband when I first came out I was like Jose you gotta call me Ian why aren't you calling me Ian and he got really mad at me but what he said stuck with me he turned around and said because I am used to calling you Jenny and you need to give 
give me time to get used to calling you Ian. Oh, shit. This is a transition for him just as much as it's a transition for me. Mm-hmm. And that was a big lesson is that the people around me are transitioning too. And quite frankly, I pretty much anybody who knew me before or, you know, knows me professionally gets a free pass. I don't mind being called Jenny because it was it's such an important part of who I am that it's the name I've been using to write professionally for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. So... Tell me a little bit more, if you don't mind, um, about how your husband dealt with all this. Did he always know you wanted to uh, become trans? And how did how is he dealing with it? Uh, is your is your husband um, heterosexual? And is that now in his own mind changing? How does he think about this and himself? Um, well, I hadn't. I, I've posted this on Twitter and that's about it. Um, my husband actually passed away last February. Oh, Um, I'm so sorry, Ian. That's actually why I haven't been writing as much on Medium and Substack. I wrote Mm -hmm. this wonderful article about coming out and what it meant to me. And I posted it on my birthday. And three weeks later, we all got COVID and my husband wound up in the hospital. And I haven't been able to bring myself to write really about anything else because I feel like it's selfish to write about myself when I've got I I really feel like I need to say something about my husband and you know how much I loved him and how supportive he was and that's um really the answer when we first got together I told him you know I have this weird sex thing I want a penis and you know all of these, I want hair on my chest and, you know, I'm, I, I would really love to enjoy my facial hair rather than be ashamed of it. And that was a very nice night in bed. Nice. He never had a problem with it right from the start. And um, like I said, the only thing he ever really got annoyed with me about was trying to, you know, get him to call me the different name prematurely mm-hmm. I mean he was always in fact um for a little while I was going by Ian Toshiro because my um handle on uh as Jennifer knows from my address my email address um my handle online at the time was Shiroe Makabe which is based on the name part the first part is based on the name Toshiro, which is after Toshiro Mufuni, one of the all-time greatest actors in the world. Um, and he kind of combined them. And like, I still have this. It's something that I keep because it was from him and it meant so much to me. Um, we had these whiteboards that we write our grocery lists on. And the top of one of our whiteboards that is no longer in use because he wrote this says, I love Jenny Rowe. So, like, he was really cool with it. He really worked with me. He was really accepting of just about everything. Um, Like I said, the only thing he had a hard time with was the name. He is the one who cut my hair the first time. Like, my first men's haircut was given to me by my husband. And um, I shaved my head, actually, back in March. 
And the only reason that I didn't do it sooner, we were going to do it for Valentine's Day, but we all were sick. So we decided to do it when we got better. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, Ian. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I feel that's so heavy. I don't want to move on to something then, but I have some questions on like, just these are just general, like me talking out loud questions on what you had mentioned earlier about the idea of gender. That's still something that I'm, uh, you know, not sure that I fully understand, you know, the difference between sex and gender and whether or not there is a difference. And you'd mentioned something about like preening and, you know, that 10% is, is where it's really about reproduction and whatnot. Now that you are, you know, taking hormones, I, I suppose that you are, I think that you mentioned that you were, I don't want to make an assumption, but do you think, and maybe this is just me not being, you know, I'm not very smart on these things. Um, do hormones play a part in creating gender? So when we talk about, I know you said that a lot of it is socially constructed, but you know, let's, men are typically maybe more aggressive. Women are typically, again, I'm stereotyping, but generalizing, maybe more general, more nurturing. Would, I mean, to me, when I think about gender, that's how I think about gender. Like sex to me is like, what you were born with, right? Those, your body parts. Gender is more, I, I do think that there is, I think that I would say, see, I would say 50%. I'd say 50% is social construction. And then 50%, I'm wondering if there isn't something biological that actually creates gender, which, you know, isn't sex. It's, it's maybe the more aggression or the, what do you think about that? Am I totally off base or educate me? First, first of all, I haven't finished reading the end of gender yet. I started it. I got about two chapters into it and school started. So I had to put it aside. Um, but I really, um, Deborah So is somebody whose work I really admire. And that's a book I really need to finish one of these days. Um, like soon, hopefully. Um, I could see, I mean, in my own experience, I really don't feel like I've changed that much from, you know, when I was on, you like, nature versus when I started hormone therapy. Um, I will say that I started out on testosterone gel, and I was on that for three months, and then I was ready to do injections and I hate needles and I am more than happy to inject myself once a week with the liquid stuff because putting the gel on felt felt like I like and felt like I was someone who had eaten almost enough to be satisfied but not quite if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So I can see absolutely where the hormones play a part in it. Um, I mean, my ideas about gender come from my, my just my observations of life. Um, my mom, if you put her behind the philosophical veil of ignorance, you never would have guessed that, that my mom was a woman. My mom was an athlete. She rode horses. She sailed boats. She had a smart mouth. Um, she, you, she would have been constantly, you know, 
dunked in lakes or accused of being a witch if she lived in the 1600s or something. <laughs> but, um, I mean, if you put her behind the veil of ignorance, you never would guess that she was, you know, female. And then out comes this. And to top it, like, you know, the other side of my mom, she loved doing her nails. That's where I picked up my love of doing my nails from. They're not done right now, but I haven't stopped that just because. And that was another thing that I had to reconcile. But anyway, um, so, and I've known enough vulnerable, gentle, nurturing men. I don't use the term cis. I think it's very insulting because cis is the norm. You know, we can complain about cis normativity and heteronormativity as much as we want to. They're still the norm. They're still the majority, the vast majority. So I try not to use the word cis. So henceforth, it's men or trans men, women or trans women. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, and getting back to what I was saying is that um, I've known plenty of, you know, men who are nurturing and vulnerable. And again, if you put them behind the veil of ignorance, you would never guess that these were guys. Um, in fact, one of them, uh, this one I used to date, and um, one of my friends accused him of being a woman because of the romantic way in which he spoke to me was, you know, not manly enough for this guy. It was like, and this is not somebody, this guy was, well, no, I guess he was pretty macho. Um, not somebody I talk to anymore. But, I mean, just the fact that aggressive women and sensitive men exist um, speaks to a, a disconnect between gender and sex. So I don't know if I would say 50-50. I'd be willing to give it 75-25-70-30. We can barter. <laughs> you know, our, our friend Xander talked about how when he was a woman, and I think he was a pretty hardcore feminist in those days, transitioned and saw another side of men that he didn't fully understand that, mm -hmm. in fact, he realized that many men were actually much nicer, much more compassionate than he ever previously thought. Um, what's been your experience in that? Let me, can I add there too, um, Ian, before yeah. you answer, in addition to what David just said, one of the things that Xander said that I found the most shocking was how dangerous you always talk about the danger of being a woman, which is legit, right? But he didn't realize how dangerous it was to be a man. Like, he's like, I'm always worried about if I'm going to get beaten up or if I'm going to get in a fight. And I think that that goes to some of the stuff that you were not only just said, but when we met that you were writing on, on that empathy and that compassion towards the male perspective, because they were kind of just being completely bulldozed. Um, so anyways, going back to... To, to David's question, yeah, I, mean, I wanted to add to that what you're, you know, if you saw that as well in, in your transition. 
One thing that I was worried about with my transition is that I have a tenant, I guess I just have one of those faces where people just feel really comfortable opening up to me. And fortunately, that turns out to have been something that didn't go away. But guys have been opening up to me since ever. Like as far back as I can remember in my life, guys have been opening up to me about things that they wouldn't normally open up to with each other, I guess. Well, actually, I'm seeing more that maybe they do open up to certain select of their friends about it. Um, yeah, guys are a lot more sensitive. But I, like I said, I've always known that because of the things that have been confessed to me by guys who weren't looking for anything from me. They just were looking for somebody to listen. And I just happened to be the person there to listen. Um, since I've transitioned, I'm still the person who listens. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad, like I said, that that hasn't changed. Um, and I'm finding out that the things that I was told when I was perceived as a woman and the things that I'm being told now are pretty similar. Um, yeah, guys are a lot nicer than, you know, they're given credit for. And it's kind of funny that you say that because when I've been to um, trans-inclusive pride meetings, one thing that the trans women are always saying is that men are pigs, toxic masculinity, and that might be their experience, but that's very rarely been mine. And I mean, I was, as a girl, I was pretty voluptuous. Like, I'm still pretty voluptuous. I haven't had any of that kind of work done yet. I, but I matured, like hit puberty at eight and a half. So fourth grade, I'm walking around with a size C cup bra. By the time, you know, I fully matured, even before I had my son, I was um, 36 double D, 28, 36 were my dimensions. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, somebody who, who we're talking about somebody who is hyper, hyper feminine looking. In fact, ah. In fact, can, can you see that? Yep, yep. That was me. Uh, so I think I know where you're, where you're going here um, in terms of sort of the politics of trans issues. It's very striking to me. You know, you think that issues like race and racism are sensitive and hard to talk about in a public way, but I've realized that talking about trans issues is even more fraught. And, um, you know- Cough, what, Dave Chappelle what, cough. <laughs> yeah, that's a Dave Chappelle cough. You know, um, uh, um, you know, if you wanna talk about, well, what is it a good idea to give an 11 year old puberty blockers? Is it a good idea to allow a 15 year old to go through hormone therapy? Um, is it uh, okay for a trans woman to compete in sports against NATO women? Um, how should we regard these issues? These are tough issues, and I'm not claiming that there's no good case to be made that um, that you know trans women athletes should compete. I but I I think I I feel like people haven't fully discussed them yet, or they feel like they can't discuss it. And that's not healthy. I'm not sure it's the best model for social change either. Um, I agree what, what wholeheartedly. Your, yeah. So what? What is? Where? Where are you with all that? 
Um, well, for one thing, now that I've begun transition and am, have been on the hormones for a few years, um, I am definitely different physically than what I was before. I'm still closer to woman, but I'm not, I, I'm too far removed at this point to where I wouldn't want to participate in female sports because, you know, I'm on T, that's cheating. That's like literally being on steroids because that's what T is. Um, I think we're our own category. And I think, I think there is so much of an emphasis and a fight to be accepted as our gender identity rather than as our biological, not just our, well, it's not about just the biological sex, but like we're, we're trying so hard to ignore biological sex in favor of gender identity, or at least a lot of these, you know, protesters are, that it's, it's just getting extreme and silly. Like these people who insist that, you know, that I was always a man or that a trans woman is exactly the same thing as a natal woman. No, they're not. And so ultimately, yeah, I believe that when it comes to things like sports and prisons, third spaces, mm-hmm. bathrooms, mm-hmm. the thing about trans women in bathrooms, and it's largely the an issue between trans women and natal women at this point. And, but the thing about that is that I remember 10, 20, 30 years ago when you didn't hear quite as much about trans issues, nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, especially like nobody cared. I mean, that was what that was it. It didn't become an issue until trans women started going, well, we need to be accepted as the same exact thing as natal women. And it, and and the sad thing is at, at one point five or six years six years ago this post of uh, this came up as a memory on Facebook recently I actually was singing that party line trans women are women trans women are women it took being trans myself realizing that I was trans myself to realize that there was a difference but there is a difference and there are a lot of trans people that really would probably be a lot healthier if they accepted that you know, Debbie Hayden said something, um, speaking of thinking outside of the box, that I thought was really interesting. And it changed the way I thought about you just have like if you're having a sports event, right, you can have whatever, um, you know, female, male and all. So like you get to choose if you want to compete in the all, you know, you might be competing with, you know, men. if you're a female, you might be competing with male, you might be competing with trans like you. That's a choice. And then if you want to compete amongst natal female or natal male. That's true. Like, so I, I don't know why we make things so hard. Like, that sounds like, I mean, is that, would you, I, I feel like Ian, you would agree with that. I mean, is that something though that you think other people would agree with, or is there just more that need to force the issue? So many trans people, their identities are so steeped in being accepted as their transitional sex rather than their natal sex that first of all I consider that very unhealthy 
And, you know, I, one of my majors is psychology, so it's not like I'm talking out my ass here, but, um, it's, that's why nothing is getting done because you've got these trans women. And again, it seems to come mostly from trans women. And it sounds like I'm picking on trans women, but I very, I've only seen two trans men do it, three trans men do it in the entire, in my entire history of, you know, 20 some odd years of being exposed to the trans community. And two of those people are Chase Strangio and Elliot Page. Other than that, mostly set tends to come from trans women is you need to accept us as women you need to accept us as women and their mindset is so steeped in you have to see us as women that there's no compromise at least not from the extreme ones and now though more and more trans people a lot of trans women like Debbie um are starting to speak out against that and be like, you know, just because I'm a trans woman doesn't mean that that's how I think. Back off. Um, and that's a good thing. Because formerly these people were the silent trans. You know, the people who transitioned to, to get some peace in their lives. And they attained that peace. And never really needed to speak about it. You know, they were the people that the women in the bathroom never noticed were, you know, actually trans women and not natal women, because they just went about their lives. And these people who just wanted to go about their lives are now having to out themselves and come out to talk, you know, and talk about this from perspectives that counter, you know, what's being touted as the trans party line. The fact of the matter is with trans rights activism, the lunatic fringe is running things. And we're already the lunatic fringe. We've got the lunatic fringe of the lunatic fringe being the mouthpiece for trans activism. And that's the biggest issue that, you know, if we could just get past that, you know, maybe we'd start to see some compromise. And I am not saying that anti-trans people are innocent. Because there are some very anti-trans people out there. I've watched them the past couple of days on Twitter. They've been crapping on Buck Angel. Um, I think they even dead named him. Um, which I don't think Buck gives a shit about that kind of stuff. But, you know, not. that's still very rude. And they were doing it to be malicious. And these were, um, you know, basically open and honest to goodness transphobia. Like that what these people online were doing, you know, in the, in the name of gender critical thinking was open transphobia. And I don't use that word lightly because I think it's way overused. E.g. J.K. Rowling is not a transphobe. Neither is Graham Linehan. But these women were being vicious and mean and for no better reason than, you know, to put words in Buck Angel's mouth and Upper Hand Mars's mouth and the Gender Dysphoria Alliance's mouth and say that they stand for things they absolutely don't stand for. I have a question for you. It's about sort of diversity within the trans community. I know this is anecdotal, but based on your experience, what percentage of the trans people that you've come across do you think sort of toe the party line? And to what what percentage do you think 
thinks everybody should take a chill pill and we're doing all, all doing the best we can? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, it seems like the vast majority toe the party line, unfortunately. Um, not to say that there aren't realists among my personal acquaintance as well as my online acquaintance. Uh, there was this one trans lady who, you know, basically said, my fake boobs, she put it exactly like that, my fake boobs are how I express who I am. That's a person who's healthy and comfortable with their transition, you know, and I do know my share of those type of people as well. But yeah, in my experience, the vast majority, it seems to be along age lines, though. It seems like early millennials and older are a little more pragmatic, whereas the younger millennials and the Zoomers are cannot be reasoned with and think they know everything. And I feel old, like my father saying that, but it's true. <laughs> right. why, do, why do you, you think, think that? Yeah. Why, why do you right. think that, that age difference, like what happened to create that different thinking? I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was, because um, I remember the 90s when like the gay community started speaking out more. Um, at least they did in Raleigh where I was at the time. And I was friends with a lot of the gay community in Raleigh. But um, I mean, maybe it was that. I don't know. Maybe it was, um, you know, the emergence of figures like Lady Chablis and Buck Angel and... Um, you know, more awareness that transsexual actually existed. Mm-hmm. These days, I think the the one of the biggest problems is with the idea that you don't have to have gender dysphoria to transition. So now everybody's doing it because it's the cool thing to do, or that's the way it seems. And the ones who are like that also seem to be very bo- vocal about it. Um, I've heard them called transgenders. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good, it's a good term. And that might speak to what I was going to sort of put forward, which is, I have this feeling with Gen Z, and obviously, you don't want to generalize about a generation generation any more than you do anybody else. I mean, it's a diverse generation, you can see even by the polls, but that there's a segment among Gen Z that is sort of engaged in one big masquerade party, that they that that their that identity has become so um, so much of a multitude that they're looking for their own very unique mask at this masquerade party, and then and then they use the language that's available to them, which is the sort of language of identity politics, to assert their identity over and over and over again, and 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 it it fosters this very very stifling discourse you know i am this you must respect this that i'm on only i get to define this for you it's not only am i am this okay that's cool but i but i get to define exactly what it is and i get to define your thinking about what this identity is and um and i i think that the, and i just get the sense that that's sort of a um 
you know, uh, the, the, you know, what do they say? What did Shakespeare say? All the world's a stage and all the men and women are ma- merely players. I feel like there's a lot of players in this. And I don't know in that sense whether the generation's going to sort of grow out of it or if that's sort of part of their permanent political expression. Ooh, that's a little bit scary if that's part of their permanent political uh I feel sorry for my son and his children, um, as well as myself, provided yeah. I get that old knock on wood. Um, in that respect, you know, you kind of just brought to mind like internet handles. Like I just said earlier, my internet handle for a long time was Shiroway Makabe, and that's how people identified me. And when you've got that anonymity you can live with, I mean, Shiroway Makabe came from Makabe, which is the name of Toshiro Mufuni's character in the movie Hidden Fortress. It's the family name of the character. That's where I got it from, and I was Makabe before I was Shiroway Makabe. Um, But that's how people knew me. And... Then there was an ex of mine who played female characters, went by female names. Everybody assumed that he was a girl. And he was my first very bad example of what trans means. He is now part of the they, whatever, is now are now part of the trans women or women brigade. Um, nine. Gen X or um, boomer generation, by the way. So I guess that's not a, um, I guess my age thing is not a hard and fast rule. But, and where was I going with all of this? Internet handles and internet anonymity, anonymity and video games where you can, you know, be an orc or an elf or, you know, a woman or a man, you know, or anything you want to be. And I think a lot of people have, a lot of, especially the younger generations have internalized this. I also, if you're familiar with the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that also came to mind. And I should have mentioned iGen when I was talking before about the, the age thing, because I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the whole safe places and, you know, all of the, cognitive distortions that we've been enabling in not just our children, but our adults. On that note, I've got a, a, a final question for you. Um, you know, we are talking a lot now about uh, transitioning in kids and um, you know, not to question a kid's identity, all this kind of stuff. And I'd like to hear what you think about that but also as someone who transitioned later in life, do you think if you were born in this generation uh, where it was more open and acceptable, do you think that you might have transitioned earlier than you did? Uh, well, I, if, I think if I had, it would have been more like a rapid onset kind of thing. Um, it, but, see, there's a but. You know, I did notice how I felt about penises as young as 
four or five. So I can absolutely see why there's an argument about transitioning children. Because I mean, I didn't know at four or five that I was trans. But there's always the possibility that the only reason I didn't know is because the only trans person anybody had heard about when I was four or five was Renee Richards. Um, I'm not sure that I would trans now. And how I feel about trans my thought process about trans children is that um, given my own experience, they're out there, but I think it takes a lot of good faith psychological exploration to suss that out for real. Or, you know, do I like playing Han Solo because I like the character? Or do I like playing Han Solo, be, you know, when I'm playing Star Wars pretend with my friends because I'm actually a boy? Um, I, I think that that's, I think a lot of psychology, though, is aimed at affirmation. And I, that's really frustrating to me because, I mean, that's what's keeping the, the trans children debate alive. I do believe they're out there. I do not believe there's as many of them as being portrayed. I think introducing the term transgender and terms like non-binary just muddies that issue. Um, but I do think it's on a case-by-case -case basis because there are some out there, I don't think I would have been one of them, but there are some children out there that absolutely would have benefited from being able to transition earlier. But you gotta be careful. Right. And how do you know that? That's the other yeah. issue. How do you, if you're not the kid himself or herself, how do you know what they're ready for? I find that a very challenging set of questions. Of course, if you knew, if you had a crystal ball and you could say, okay, my now 11 year old at age 30 will be a fully trans person. I better, then of course you'd, I would think you would wanna give them all the help in the world that they would need to, to go through that process and to do it in a way that eliminates some of their mental distress that they're experiencing now. But if you don't know that, and you hear that most kids who go th through some kind of gender dysphoria end up being just gay adults. And so how do you, how do you, you know, how do you figure out whether it's the right thing to do something so drastic to or let them do something so drastic themselves? And the other thing on top of that is sort of the Abigail Schreier view of, of contagion in that, you know, the, the what is it, the thousand or fold or more increase in the um, number of trans girls or trans boys, I guess. And, and, and how that might also affect the thinking of a parent. You know, if, if we lived where, at a time when there were fewer trans people, maybe there'd be less understanding of this. Um, you, But if, the, if there wasn't a sense of contagion, you might say, wow, my kid has always felt that they were the opposite gender or they should be the opposite gender. They should live like the opposite gender. I So therefore I'm going to help them through that process. But now when you're hearing about all these girls who wanna transition and you start to say to yourself, this could be just that. So I don't know how you make that decision as a parent in this environment. I like um, what you said, Ian, good faith psychological exploration. I, I want to say that was your exact wording. It's got to be that yes, good. I like that. 
It's just not been like in good faith. It's not been in good faith. A lot of the psychological, like you said, it's all been affirmation based instead of good faith psychological exploration. And I, I feel like a lot of our psychologists are actually afraid to engage in the good faith psychological examination and, you know, good faith intensive therapy to figure out what's what because they're afraid of being viewed as transphobic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't obviously they is are, not, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine like, that, that? That's where wokeness really exacts a, a price. Uh, I mean, it exacts a price on a lot of things, but it, on this in particular, think about it. If a doctor is afraid to give you their best assessment mm-hmm. because they're afraid of being called a name and they don't do that and the person goes through a transition that would be ill-advised, that wasn't fully thought through, and then years later, want to detransition. Imagine how that damaging that is to the individual. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, in answer to the question from earlier about do I think I would have transitioned at a younger age, I probably would have been rushed into it by the environment that we're in now and done it sooner than I really should have for my own health. Mm-hmm. Right. Not only your, your, phys- I mean, your physical health as well as your, you know, um, mental health. I mean, that's one of the things that they're, studies that they're doing too, is like the, the physical impact of an early transition um, has, a, has a toll. That's something that Debbie's talked to us about, taught us about a little bit too, David. So I, I, don't, I just think it's such a, a rich story that too, Ian, to hear your different perspectives, you know, coming, yes. and, you know, and that I, I, you know, I want the best for you. Yeah, I want. Yeah, I don't want you to transition later if that wasn't what's right for you. But I love hearing your contrasts and your stories around that. That um, really add a lot of value into our understanding of of all the transgender issues. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you too. And I'm learning so to much. appreciate from you, David, too. It's very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Nice to meet you too. I'm glad to to see somebody who and meet somebody who's really thought through these issues and doesn't get trapped in the ideological discourse that we've all been handed. That they've they've thought critically about it and are able to think for themselves. It's so good. So, so welcome to the club. I mean, you've been in the club, but uh, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know. I'm, I'm finally speaking my, out, my, out with it. Yes. That's yeah. It took wonderful. me a while to get Ian. Um, we, we talked about it. I think Ian a year or two back when, or maybe it was even a longer when you were kind of moving in that direction. And that was, still, I think a private moment. So it's great to, to catch up with you here in person on this. Thank you. I can't stay silent with what I see going on around me and the trans activism and extremism and ideology is really what kept me from realizing that I was trans so you know if if me saying what I'm saying helps just one trans person realize that you know that they don't have to buy the ideology they can still be who they are or helps one person who thinks they might be trans you know sit down and question it then i'm satisfied <laughs> that's wonderful yeah thank you so much yeah thank you ian thank you for having me
Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say hold my drink and the conversation gets real.